Hi, everybody. This is Peter Diamandis, and I'm here with my coach, Dan Sullivan, for our next installment of Exponential Wisdom. Dan, a pleasure, my friend. We talked last time about the impact of technology on real estate. And of course, that's pre-existing real estate. But I thought, you know, it'd be fun to talk about how exponential tech is going to change construction, how we build our real estate. It's a $12.9 trillion market right now for new construction. So big numbers, big numbers. Yeah, Peter, one of the things that I feel that if any time-consuming process in any industry, but especially in construction, can be automated, it will be automated. That could happen before the construction actually starts, that the modular pieces, major parts of the construction are already constructed in such a way that it's off-site, it's brought in, and it's put together. And then the putting together process, wherever that can be replaced by automation, that will. And i just like to give a landmark example of how fast you can build things. Sure. That was done by humans, and it was the Empire State Building in 1929-1930. It's 102 stories, and that's uh-huh. ground up, and then you have the sublayers. But the whole thing, building start to finish, was completed in 54 weeks. Wow. So a year. They were doing two full stories every week. And they had 6,000 workers. And not having the safety laws, they lost six men on the project. And I think that's a pretty safe project. That's incredible. They did it to win a contest against the Chrysler Building. They beat the Chrysler Building. And they beat them because they had an addition they could put on the last night, which was a radio tower, and that won (laughs) them the contest for the biggest skyscraper. But, you know, where there's a real clear-cut path and there's a methodology for actually doing something, it would be done. But in the old days, that could be done with humans because in some ways it was the low-cost part of the job. Now it's the most expensive part of the job. Why have things slowed down given all of the technology that we have? I mean... Heck, you know, just doing a small addition onto a house can take you more than 54 weeks, let alone, <laughs> you know, building the Empire State Building. Yeah. I mean, is it bureaucracy? Yeah. Is it, what do you think is, what's changed? Everybody gets a piece of the action, you know, everybody gets a nibble on the project. You know, you have all sorts of consultants who have to give their okay. I mean, site surveyors and, you know, and then there's the environmental laws and then there's, you know, you got a lot of cops who are stopping traffic so that cranes can come in and everything. So anywhere there's money to be made, it draws a crowd. I mean, going back in history, there's another great example that I know you're familiar with, which is that Sears used to sell pre-built homes. Mm -hmm. Pretty incredible. Beautiful homes. Beautiful homes. I mean, not little cottages, but three, four bedroom homes. Well-constructed. Well-constructed. And interestingly enough, Sears simply collaborated with another company that did this, but they didn't have the scope and the scale that Sears did. So it was collaboration between house builders who could pre-cut and pre-prepare every piece of lumber because it was mostly wood that was done in a house. And then they packaged it on trains and the country was much more connected by train lines in those days. So they just delivered. And if you had a local carpenter, all they had to do was follow the blueprints and the plans that Sears had put together and you had yourself a house. And those homes are now sort of national monuments or I mean, they're historical monuments, at least. Yeah. I want to ask you something about what you've seen, because you're the scout. I mean, you're the person who's out scouting and 
actual physical terms, going out and seeing things and actually, you know, learning how things are done. It's just a different topic, but the mining in Northwest Australia now, they have these big earth movers and they're robots. Yeah, totally autonomous. And they have a control center in Perth, which is way down the coast. So they are controlling huge. I mean, the tires are two to three times the size of a human being. And they have humans on site if something breaks down. So they, people on site are simply there if something goes wrong with one of the robots. They're there. They've got the parts. They've got the techniques for doing it. But I was thinking about construction, moving that model over to construction. Have you seen where there are robot constructors of buildings? I have. I have seen it There's one company, for example, that is in part of Abundance 360, FBR, and they are basically using robots to place bricks. Mm -hmm. Fast Brick Robotics is the company. And so they built this up, and you give a plan for a building, and they will do the brick laying, which is a pretty digital, you know, you either do or do not have the brick in the right location. And then there's other companies that are extruding beautiful three-dimensional walls that are sort of 3D printing with different materials. Mm -hmm. So I think we're starting to see autonomous robotics playing a role in the construction business, but it's still early days. There are some humanoid robots coming into practice, but it's really specialized robots and 3D printers that are in the game today. Mm -hmm. But would you say that the main thing from the standpoint of technology would be project planning and project management? I think right now the place where the money is being saved and making a big impact is definitely project planning, project management. It's being able to go into a building in full, super high-resolution image-like VR and inspect the building and know exactly that everything is where it needs to be. There's nothing left to the imagination. And you can say, okay, move that wall, you know, create a bathroom over here, whatever the case might be, and walk in there and say, yeah, looks great. And then effectively hit print. But you can finalize a project visually yeah. before you ever start building anything, or even before you get a permit. Yeah. Here's a question yeah. I have for you. Disruption is one of the six Ds, so that's part of your formula. But what I see is it's like creative destruction that Joseph Schumpeter, the Austrian economist, said that capitalism is a never-ending, expanding process of creative destruction, that old forms of doing things are being destroyed and new forms are being created. The disruption gets played up because it's bad news and therefore it's news, where things are being disrupted, jobs are being eliminated. But from a transformative standpoint, my feeling is that the great breakthrough is actually the cost of teamwork actually goes down enormously because everybody's on the same page or they're on the same screen all the time. Yeah, agreed. And you can also use machine models to help you plan the construction phases in ways. That's an important part. You can also do trades that you couldn't easily do before So you could trade sort of the thermal and energy efficiency of a building versus cost. You can say, you know, this is too expensive. Could I make it a little less thermally efficient? Or could I make it a platinum lead certification, in which case it's going to cost you this much extra? And you can turn those dials before you ever Mm -hmm. submit your final. And, you know, companies like Autodesk have been working on this for some time and doing a beautiful job there. There's also some interesting companies right now that are 3D printing entire homes. 
And then some of these 3D printed homes, I just saw an article about the technology of embedding sensors in the walls and embedding electronics. So I think we could head back eventually towards the Sears houses, but these would not be just five or 10 different designs. These might be sort of an infinite number of designs that you can decide, I need an extra bedroom. And then it sort of throws up a couple of designs for you that has a fourth or fifth bedroom for you. I think that's going to be fascinating, for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems to me that one of the disruptive forces, the most disruptive forces, because I look at it from the standpoint of what's happening to 3,000 entrepreneurs every quarter, and what they've identified as the most disruptive force in their lives is unpredictable consumers with a new capability. Interesting. So what would that look like in the construction business? Well, for example, once it became known for consumers that a new capability exists for something that cost this much in the past that was very, very, took a long time and they had to have numerous meetings, now it can get continually updated on a daily basis just with conversation and they get complete plans back at the end of every 24 hours. So my feeling is that they're unpredictable consumers because you're learning what they're looking, but they have a new capability. They know there's a capability, and all of a sudden people say, well, that's not the way to actually go about building your house or buying your house. There's actually this new capability, and that shifts the marketplace. So the providers of the service are actually reacting to something new that consumers are actually demanding out in the marketplace. I just look at it from the other direction because virtually every one of my clients deals directly with consumers and clients, and they're constantly having to be enormously alert by these unpredictable consumers who have discovered that there's a new capability out there. Interesting. It's sort of like medical doctor who's dealing with the patient who's on the web all the time. Oh, yeah. Predicting their own disease. And I think it's interesting, right? Another part of it is if you have this agility for design, this infinite agility for design, Does it drive the builder up the wall because the ability to make edits doesn't ever stop? Well, there's a price tag to every edit. Yeah, that's, I guess, the way they do it. No, I mean, first of all, everything stops at the top of any spending market. It always starts with the most people who can write the big checks. So my feeling is that everything new in the world is actually created by consumers who can actually write checks. They're thinking about what they want. They're not necessarily thinking about what it's going to cost within reason. Right. I mean, look at me as Babs and I as medical consumers. It's in the hundreds of thousands of dollars that is not covered by any kind of insurance policy. It's not covered by our national policy here in Canada. I mean, if I get the flu, I use the national health care system. If I want anything special, I go to the United States because I'm an unpredictable consumer with a new capability. Human longevity, that's a new capability. Well, it's not covered by any insurance plan. Sure. Nor do you, as the creator of it, actually want it to be covered by an insurance plan because it just slows things down. Yeah, absolutely. And it actually attracts the wrong kind of consumer. So I think about new construction these days as some people described the Tesla as sort of an iPad with wheels Mm -hmm. versus a computer with an iPad. It's sort of an extreme, but I think about the future of homes being much more technically capable and integrated from the bottom up. So when I think about sort of new construction, I'm thinking about the elimination of garages because people aren't going to have cars 10 years from now. We'll be 
car as a service. You're not going to own a car that you stick in mm-hmm. some unused part. You might use a garage for storage instead. So the sort of the concrete layout of the driveway, the blacktop and so forth may change. Driveways may change. We're getting towards cheaper and cheaper solar. The price per kilowatt hour today, the cheapest price out of Chile is 2.1 cents per kilowatt hour. But it's predicted to drop to you know, under a penny per kilowatt hour. Mm-hmm. So if you're in a reasonably sunny area, mm-hmm. eventually every rooftop will be solar collecting. Windows could be solar collecting. Your house is intelligent. Everything is being measured all the time. Mm-hmm. So I do think we're going to see houses of the future, rather than retrospectively adding technology into the house, having the house be mm-hmm. intelligent from the beginning. Well, self-maintaining, I think, is the first threshold here. You know, maintaining things is really a bother. People will pay to not be hassled. Yes, absolutely. Everything's got a service. For example, we have generators in both of our homes in Chicago and Toronto. And the moment that the power goes out, now it doesn't happen often, but when it does, you really want a backup. And it's about three seconds in both places. And you can hear it click on, and then we got full power We had a winter storm here about seven years ago, and the whole city went down. We had full lights. The outside lights were on. You know, we had full heat and everything else. And we were in the Caribbean when it happened. (laughs) And we came back. And we were telling our friends and our team members who live close by, you know, if you want to freeze something or you want to go over and cook something, you you know, here's the key, just go over and cook (laughs) things. But we were the only home on the street that we had full power. It was a line that went down because a tree limb came down and knocked out a major power line, and it was our tree. (laughs) It was our tree, so it knocked out the power for everybody, and we're the only ones who instantly had power. But that's a hassle, you know, when you have a brownout or you have a blackout, it's a hassle. You remember hassles. You remember when you're inconvenienced. feeling is that technology on a consumer level tends to follow a path that I want to get rid of the inconveniences. I want to get rid of the discomfort. Yes. I've had the experience of being inconvenienced, and I've had the experience of being discomforted because something broke down, something didn't work. I never want to have this happen again, and I'm willing to pay to guarantee that it doesn't happen again. Yeah, I definitely see that. There's some other interesting future implications of construction that I would love to throw out. So augmented reality glasses, you're seeing Apple making huge investments there. And, you know, I believe that within a decade, we're all going to have moved from our phones to a pair of glasses we wear, very much like the fashionable glasses you're wearing right now that are Mm -hmm. basically driving photons into our eyes that are generated by the computer versus just what is coming through from the environment around us. Last year, I took a group of my XPRIZE benefactors to the Vatican for a longevity conference that we were holding at XPRIZE, and we did a tour of the Sistine Chapel. I remember looking inside the Sistine Chapel and going, this is extraordinary, the amount of brilliance and beauty and density and I remember thinking, there's no way in the world that you could ever recreate this right now. No one could afford to. The talent doesn't exist to create this. I had two immediate, like, oh, for, you don't have to. So one of them was that we're going to be able to have the equivalent of 3D artist painters that could go and fill your walls with beautiful recreations that are painted on the walls. Maybe they're not exactly like 
Michelangelo, but they are in the spirit of Michelangelo, and so they're not copying it. You're creating something that is influenced by. But I said, forget about that. All I'm going to want in the future is white walls and white ceilings. I can decide that I want my home to be in the style of Van Gogh, and as I look through my glasses, every wall is covered by Van Gogh's work. Mm -hmm. So this is an interesting future. And that would be a double benefit. It would be for your own personal being surrounded by an environment that you find enormously attractive. But educationally, it's huge, the education market. You don't have to go to the Sistine Chapel to teach a college class or a high school class on the Sistine Chapel. Everybody just puts on their glasses. Yeah. And you can walk through, and it walks you through, and you can identify anything that you look at. You know, it'll tell you what the history of that is, too. So I, I think we are looking at retroactively outfitting houses today with modern technology. And then we're looking at how do we construct houses like today with new technology? How do we use AI and VR for planning? How do we use 3D printing potentially for construction? But looking out 10 years there's going to be a completely new format of house built. Mm-hmm. And one of the other things is the concept of our house is going to potentially get smaller because you don't you need all of that extra space where one wall may be a hologram or you may be looking out into beautiful countryside using VR and you make multi-use of homes. This is some of the predictions of just making houses much more efficient from a space utilization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, well, we did it just by acquiring all the properties next to us, you know. So, I mean, I'm from farm country in Ohio, and they said, well, I don't want to own the whole world, but I would like all the property next to mine. So <laughs> instead of moving, we just acquired property, and then we joined them from a landscape standpoint. But, Peter, do you think that there's any commonality about people's relationship with real estate, or is it infinitely unique that memories play a part in it, aspirations play a part in it? You know, we were talking that maybe brokers are replaced with coaches. The biggest scarcity that people talk about, and this shows up in the happiness polls and the happiness surveys, that they've got an enormous amount of abundance around them, but it doesn't have any meaning to them. Mm. You know, in other words, that from a physical standpoint, you know, if you look at Maslow's pyramid, you're not confronted with survival issues or safety issues. You are confronted with belonging issues. You are confronted with achievement issues. So I think that in North America, certainly the parts that you and I spend most of our time, that one of the really big problems is that people have their past and they're living in the present. They have a loose grasp of their future. And for their life to be meaningful, they have to have a future that's more meaningful than their past and their present or they're dying. Yes. I think it's one of the biggest factors which encourages death is actually having less meaning in the time ahead than you've already had up until now. I agree 100% with that. So my feeling that this feeling of being a coach, of actually allowing people to constantly create a future that's bigger, and then it'll take material form, it'll take experience form, it'll take all sorts of different enjoyment forms, entertainment forms, and everything else. But they're being presented with an enormous amount of choice, but they don't have the actual meaning 
the meaning map, if I can coin sure. a new term here, they have a meaning map that this will be the type of future. And my feeling in, in every industry that we examine here on exponential wisdom, the biggest problem is they have an enormous amount of potential choice in terms of what's being created, but they don't have any way to sort out the meaning of their consumption. Yeah, empty consumption of more is better gets really old really fast. Yeah. And there's nothing more term that comes to mind is ugly than a large mansion house without anything unique. And it's just sort of like cookie cutter versus something that is actually beautiful and every square meter has meaning to you for sure. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to become more and more useful as we enable it with augmented virtual reality, where you have a infinite amount of visual and individual meaning that can be flowed into every place around you. Yeah. I mean, for me, I pay not to commute. That's one thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I haven't driven in the city of Toronto since, I think, 2000. I either have my very personal driver, Babs, who doesn't like being in any car where I'm the driver. I appreciate so that. So I'm always the passenger. And then I have a first-class limousine service. So I've gone 19 years now without driving in the city of Toronto. And I read, and actually I have my eyes out, and I'm very alert to possible shortcuts that the driver doesn't know. And I said, I just checked out something here. There's a series <laughs> of alleyways here that if you cut down this driveway, you can hit an alley and it bypasses most of the major traffic here. I'm a legend with a limousine company because they say, you know, he knows the city. I don't drive, but I know the city better. And I said, well, I've got time to pay attention to alternatives. You don't. You have to get there. It's so funny because they said, you know, you ought to have Mr. Sullivan up and teach the drivers all these shortcuts. And the owner of the limousine service, he said, why would I want to teach all my drivers shortcuts? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. clearly yeah. we're going to create a machine learning model based on your 100 billion neurons, 100 trillion yeah. synapse connections yeah. and yeah. pass yeah. that off. You know, in the construction yeah. business, I think about, Dan, one other area, which is what we're building buildings out of, the construction materials. Mm-hmm. And I think those are going to, we're going to see changes. People don't appreciate that material sciences is one of the underlying fundamentals. Most of society was built on like wood. You know, we built everything out of wood. Cut stone. And stone. And that was the basic materials, right? Then we created concrete. And bricks. And cements mm -hmm. and things like that. But I think, you know, what I'm seeing is new materials that are going to have additional properties in terms of they are self-healing concretes. There's one particular interesting field in which you are creating these bacteria that are living in the concrete. And when they get exposed to air, the bacteria come alive and they produce limestone that can sort of heal the broken concrete, which is fascinating. But we're also going to start to have various materials that pull CO2 out of the atmosphere or are manufactured out of CO2 from the atmosphere to try and counter the fact that, you know, concrete is one of the major CO2 producing processes. So how we make our homes, what materials we make out of our homes, the sensors embedded in our homes, all these things are going to start to change what we build. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing is, you know, I go back to that the pioneers in this field is probably all the thousands and thousands of enterprises where looking short-term, they can make a profitable gain on introducing a new factor, whether it's a method or it's a material. 
the super intelligence that rules the planet is actually the pricing mechanism of the marketplace. And good old capitalism. Things are only worthwhile what someone's willing to write a check for, and that's the iron rule. And it changes every day. There's no predictability about what pricing does. Howard Getson, I think you know Howard from Houston, he's creating an AI program for trading. And he said the average price on Wall Street is down to 21 seconds now. It lasts on an average 21 seconds. On the big board in New York, it's 21 seconds. That's all a price will actually have a longevity of. We'll hold for. And he says 10 years from now, it might be five seconds. It might be six seconds. Because it's this pricing mechanism around the planet, which is filtered through billions and millions of transactions, and there's actually measurements for these transactions. And one of my favorite activities, and it will relate back, is that if an experience that is facilitated by a new technological leap, and it feels good to do that, you've got a big market for it. We're still emotional creatures, and we don't respond rationally. We use our reason to actually figure out our emotions, but our first response to anything, does it feel good? Do I like it? And everything else. And I think construction is just one of the major things that we respond to. I just had a wonderful experience. The most beautiful piece of architecture in Toronto is the water filtration plant, which is about six blocks <laughs> from me. And it was created in the 1920s, and it's all Art Deco. I mean, that's just one of the most beautiful buildings in the entire city of Toronto. They use the finest materials, marble, and it's not open most of the time, especially since 9-11, you know, these buildings where they could be sabotaged. Sure. But this supplies the entire water. It's the main water station, and the water comes out of the lake, and it's filtered 16 times before it's delivered to your house. But it's just an absolutely gorgeous, beautiful piece of architecture, and it's for the practical purpose. And if they build a water filtration plant today, they wouldn't make it beautiful. It would be fast and ugly. So we love things that are beautiful. I mean, that's been the secret over the years for Apple when they were outgunned in the marketplace. Sure. The one thing they had going for them is Steve Jobs had this sense we make beautiful technology that people love using. You know, that's a nice formula. And my sense is that not just convenience, not just cost, not just speed, that things have to be beautiful. And that's determined by unpredictable consumers. I love that. So I want you to imagine the following. I'm in the construction business. I've just gone through an architectural planning process with a client. And it's a four-bedroom home, and it's coming in at just under a million dollars, and it's this, this, and this. And I can say, listen, before we hit go on this design, why don't you look at a hundred photos of stuff and train my AI on, I like this, I don't like this, I like this, I don't like this. And then let my AI come up with five variations of your home that would cost the same. Mm -hmm. And have all of a sudden, I look at these homes that have the same square footage, the same rough cost and so forth, but it's taken design influence from architects from around the world that I could never afford. And I say, oh my God, I can buy that for the same price mm -hmm. instead of the box I designed. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that will be an interesting 
version of the future. Yeah, I think we're caught in a gap right now between entirely human engineering to machine construction and machine planning. And we're in an ugly space right now. I would have to say <laughs> that for the most part, we've been in about 30 or 40 years of ugly. You know, I go back to the 30s, the kind of cars that they designed in the 30s, the men's fashions and everything else. And that was a more beautiful time. And my sense is that for it to really become widespread, it has to be really beautiful. I think beauty is a big part about that. I remember the story about Jonathan Ive is his name, the yeah. designer for Apple. So Steve Jobs says, well, the inside of our technology has to be beautiful, too. The technician said to him, but nobody will see it. And he says, no, but we'll know. Yeah, amazing. That's another component that people like beautiful things. Well, pal, as always, a pleasure. And I love exploring these subjects with you. We'll see you next time, then. Thank you, Peter. Take care, Dan. <laughs> 